Welcome to God Pod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Welcome to God Pod 39. We're nearly at 40. Our 50th birthday will be up before too long. But uh, we're on 39. But, uh, is that, is that like, it's like autobiographical kind of reference <laughs> well, there sadly, as well. Sadly, some of us <laughs> have got past our 50th birthday right now. Have you really? Only just last year. No, no, this year, this year, this year. Right. Of course, yeah. one memory tends to go at this stage. I <laughs> can't remember when it was. I did actually, someone asked me the other day how old I was. I said 51, which is completely wrong. So, so I got there too fast. But anyway, Perhaps you thought you were me. I did, yeah. It's wishful thinking. Exactly. And you notice I'm not joining in this conversation <laughs> at all. <laughs> Quite right. And nor is Chris either. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, we are uh, together this morning with uh, Jane and Mike and Chris Tilling. And um, uh, it's great to be back for Godpaw 39. Now, we've got a number of um, questions that have come in that we're going to look at today. And um, the first one is, um, it's again, a, a quite an interesting a little short one. Um, which is about um, Christian vegetarianism. And um, this is from uh, someone called Devin Hunt in Winchester, Ontario, Canada. Uh, he asks that, um, um, says, uh, Lately I've been contemplating the merits of a vegetarian diet from both a health perspective but also from a religious perspective as well. I was wondering if you could discuss Christian vegetarianism on one of your podcasts. If you've already discussed it, then fine. But we haven't, as far as I know. And I we've ever talked about um, the virtues or otherwise of being a Christian vegetarian. So, um, and I guess the question is around, um, uh, and I, I the, the question could be, could be put in, in this way, that if, um, if in the new heaven and the new earth we will not be having to kill animals to, fit, to, um, to, to feed, um, and if the church is in some way meant to be an anticipation of the, of the kingdom, um, should we be doing that now? Should all Christians be vegetarians? Or um, is it different from that? I remember hearing um, a bishop do a thought for the day some while ago uh, about how he'd seen this kingfisher uh, fishing by the river and how beautiful it was and how therefore God obviously likes killing uh, and therefore we shouldn't be too bothered about animal welfare, which was an impressive Episcopal mm. uh, start to the day. Uh, the problem, of course, from his point of view, is that he hadn't taken account of the doctrine of the fall in any way, that things are not now the way God intended them to be, that you can't read back from the way things are uh, to God's creational intentions for creation. Uh, and it's interesting that it's not until after, in fact, even after a flood, that um, human beings are allowed to eat uh, meat, uh, and even then with some provisos. Um, you don't have to not eat the blood as a way of uh, kind of... Recognising that the life belongs to God. Presumably. Exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, and that there is therefore some constraint upon yeah. what they can do. And then, as you say, you know, we're, we're given a vision of the future that is harmonious, um, where the lion lies down, the lamb, and the rest of it. So that the animals will be vegetarians as well in the new creation. That is, yes, and that's going to be a trickier trick. Yeah. Down with the lamb. Yeah. Not having eaten right. it. But not the lamb, not <laughs> inside, <laughs> but outside. <laughs> Good news for lambs. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and that seems to me that that kind of vision, both of what God originally intended and what he will eventually bring about, makes sense of what we know 
um, from the Trinity, that God is a God of, of, of harmony. Um, and it makes sense from what we know of the cross, that God is a God who gives up his life that others might live. And therefore, the idea of one creature killing another creature in order that it may itself live is in a completely contrary, contradictory direction. So it does seem to me that, that, that that's, that's the overall aim, which might lead you to think, uh, um, perhaps we all ought to be vegetarians. The problem for Christian vegetarianism, of course, is that Jesus wasn't one. <laughs> Um, seems to have eaten, certainly been responsible for the death of a lot of fish. Mm. Um, <laughs> and presumably. Like the kingfisher. So the bishop was right, wasn't he? No. And was also presumably ate Passover and therefore had lamb shang. Mm. Um, and so what do we do with that? It seems to be that there is some temporary kind of dispensation uh, during which killing for eating is allowed even if it's not ideal um so basically i think we need to enjoy our roasts while we may mm. because it's going to be nut roasts forever <laughs> after the new creation which of course we will enjoy which because they'll be much tastier exactly. and our taste buds will be healed yeah. as well <laughs> yeah that's so we need it. but St. paul obviously also ate meat too didn't he because he, he in the corinthian letters he does seem to give, you know, he addresses this issue of eating meat offered to idols and, and basically sort of says, seems to say that um, under certain circumstances it's okay, but you shouldn't do it. As long as you're not involved in exactly. pagan worship. Yeah, as long as you're not involved in pagan worship, as long as you're not offending sort of other Christians who who, who might take this the wrong way. Um, and so he doesn't seem to take... To be, have a problem with... To have a problem with eating oh, yeah. meat. Um I mean, is there any, anything more we can say about that, rather than just a sort of, you know, well, this is a temporary thing, just allowed? It's a very or? interesting moral issue, though, isn't it? Because as Christians, those things that we know God longs for in a healed creation, we try to practice now. Hmm. Hmm. Why is this one an exception? Yeah. yeah. Uh, as, with, as with all um, theological <laughs> questions, of course, the answer is we don't know. Yeah. But I, I suspect that there's something about, in a fallen world, uh, the best you can sometimes do is, is, is compromise. The best you can do sometimes is maintain a balance of power. Even if you, if you can't have harmony, then the balance of power is better than nothing. Um, and that predation is part of what maintains a kind of balance within creation, within the temporary, broken, fragmented, disordered, competitive uh, world that we currently have until the putting right of all things um, and that that is part of um, that allowance is part of bringing about that kind of well I love meat so you've convinced me Mike <laughs> but then you were easily persuaded <laughs> 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 so, so what, what does that have to say about sort of animal welfare though they kind of because a number of works have been written on sort of animal theology and <clears throat> yes. those kind of things yeah, yeah, and one, you know, don't take our word for it that um, we don't have to be vegetarians. There are people. When you say our word, you mean your word. <laughs> well, I mean, it just seems to be about and Chris's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not completely convinced. No, myself. not completely convinced. Okay, well, I mean, do read mm. Andrew Lindsay's um, stuff because, I mean, mm. he is the kind of exponent of um, mm. Christian mm. vegetarianism and, mm. um, and makes a very good case. I mean, I have to say, when I said to him, that I, I find it difficult that. Jesus wasn't a vegetarian. He said, yes, I find it difficult to do. Mm. Um, yeah. but, but do read his stuff. He makes a powerful case. Mm. 
That's Andrew Lindsay, L-I-N-Z-E-Y. yes. So if you Google his name, you can find his, um, his books. Yeah. yeah, and written some very good books, Christianity and the Rights of Animals. I mean, I think that the, the welfare thing is, I mean, it's interesting, the Old Testament is full of uh, things about animal welfare, do not muzzle the ox mm. while it's treading, mm. you know, all sorts of things that you can't, shouldn't do mm. uh, to mm. animals, things that you should do to animals. And mm. Jesus teaching that sparrows... You know, have a value. Mm. We are worth, worth many, more than many sparrows, says Jesus, but that only works as an argument if sparrows are worth something. Mm. Um, and uh, so I think it's, it's hugely important that we take that seriously. Mm. Um, but partly because we're called to have, um, to rule creation. And, and the way we rule creation should reflect the way God rules us, which is not exploitative. Mm. Um, and therefore we have to take that mm. side of things very seriously. But it's interesting how, how how much in the Bible. I mean, there's an awful lot of animal killing, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Um, just the sheer prevalence of sacrifice, of course, in the Old Testament, and of course up in, in in the New Testament, in the in the Temple, up to the time of Jesus. And of course, one of the significant things about the coming of Jesus was the was the, the you know for Christians has been the, the ending of animal sacrifice and yes. animal killing. Yes. And um, reminds you of that story of the. Sunday school teacher who you know, says, you know, who, who, was, who was the person who was most upset when the prodigal son came home? And the little hand went up, the fatted calf. But again, you know, in the Low stories of Jesus. <laughs> but that's what, you know, and even that picture itself in the prodigal son, the, the, the killing of the fatted calf, is actually a, a sort of, is, I mean, that's maybe one of the signs of sort of transition from the old covenant to the new, that the, the killing of the calf is no longer a sacrifice Seen. It's actually now a celebration. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way of celebrating, um, you know, the welcome that that, that we are given. So, That's you know, true, it's all part course. of this sort of, you know, joy in, in, in God's world is, is um, is this ability to celebrate. And it seems that in the teaching of Jesus, he, he saw that as being part of it. That's true. Though, of course, the Old Testament, you know, they had their fellowship offerings as well, which yeah. were chances for great celebration. And sure. then there's allowance made for that to be done at home, not just in the temple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I suppose it, it is probably worth saying that, that the amount of meat eaten in the society that that from which the Bible comes was far less than we mm. expect to eat. Mm. Yes. Meat is is something yeah. celebratory, isn't it, and special? Yeah. And, yeah. and certainly in the, in the, that seems to be part of the background of Paul's discussion of yeah. Meat, yeah. meat offered to idols. That a lot of poorer Christians in Corinth, um, you know, weren't used to eating meat. The only meat they ever ate probably was was in, on pagan festivals yeah. when a bull was sacrificed and, and everyone got a slice. Um, and that's why they always associated meat with, with with idol worship, which is why they were offended when Christians ate meat offered to idols. And um, and so so I think that 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 point is very valid. That yeah. um, there's a lot more. Um, you know, it seems to be you know, a special occasion. You kill the fatted calf. It's not every single day. Yeah. So know, even so. if you want to believe, Mike, that it's all right for Christians to eat meat now, we should eat a lot less meat. Perhaps <laughs> other people should certainly. Yes. <laughs> uh, of course, you the like cheapest meat. The cheapest meat was pork. Um, which is why there is also a kind of socio-economic side to the decision of the early church that the food laws of the Old Testament were no longer um, binding upon Christians and they could eat poor, for instance. Which leads us neatly on to another question, which um, uh, comes from Jen Bourne. Um, And 
Jen asks a really good question, which is about her, her house group study, currently studying the book of Acts. And she says, I've got a question about Acts 15 and the recommendations that the apostles and elders make to the Gentile believers after the council in Jerusalem when they decide that Gentile believers don't need to be circumcised. And um, uh, it talks about how, you know, the, the, they, they write to the Gentile churches, telling them to abstain from, abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, there we are again, and from blood. Uh, and then she goes on, am I right in thinking these recommendations are to respect the Jewish believers and to facilitate Jewish and Gentile believers having fellowship together? In other words, not causing Jewish believers to stumble. So this is my question. If this is true, then why is sexual immorality included with a list of what appears to be ceremonial matters? Or are, are, are all the recommendations issues of morality? If this is so, what does abstaining from blood mean? And why is abstaining from the meat of strangled animals a moral issue? I am confused. So uh, I don't know if we can do anything about Jen's confusion. but um, Add to it, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we well, usually do. certainly do that. She's yeah. not going to be the only one who's confused about this passage. It, the whole question of, of how do the Gentile Christians relate to the historic people of God is, is what the early church struggled with this enormously. And in, in Acts 15, it starts, starts off with certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, uh, you need to become Jews if you're going to be part of the eschatological people of God, the, the, the people of God that, that God is making now after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so the, the early church gathered together at the council in Jerusalem to discuss this question, and uh, they, they reached this conclusion in verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Now, most have thought of this as, this is just a pragmatic line of reasoning um, for the Gentiles and for, for Jews and their relationship with each other. But in fact, um, Richard Borkham, a New Testament scholar, has recently pointed out that this list of, of um, abstinences comes from, I think it's Leviticus 18 or 19, so, or, or both, where in the law they're discussing... You take that to be a rhetorical question. Yeah, <laughs> I'm expecting an answer here from someone. Uh, uh, how do Gentiles live in the land? That's the question in Levit Leviticus. And, and the, the early church council are taking that scriptural advice and applying it to this circumstance here. So it's not just pragmatic, there's scriptural reasoning going on. And for the first three centuries, Christians took this literally. And a side uh, issue to this is it's not just about purity or moral laws. or, or, or They're all one and the same here. The, the sexual immorality is actually part of the, the purity laws in Leviticus. It's sexual immorality that polluted the land and caused the Canaanites to be thrown out mm. by God's judgment. So s sexual immorality comes under the broad umbrella of, of purity laws as well. And the early church took that seriously. The only thing you can say is that this was a judgment, especially for those who are living in the promised land. That's what the Levitical codes were for. And so this is perhaps for Gentiles living in the promised land. And you get in the, the next verse, there is a little bit of a pragmatic tone to yeah. this still. Yeah. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times. So it's, um, 
there are lots of questions that this passage throws up, and uh, to be honest, nobody's got all the answers. Especially as um, when Paul is talking about, uh, at the beginning of Galatians, about the checking out process that he did with, with the apostles, he specifically said they didn't ask him um, to add anything to his gospel. So mm. there, there's always a bit of a, a, um, a divert. You're never quite sure um, exactly who Acts is talking to and how widely that prescription was yeah. actually followed in the early mm. church. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because you could say, take this list as being actually against what Paul was teaching on um, food offered to idols, for instance, because mm. he was mm. quite happy. He said it doesn't pollute, it doesn't do anything. They're not anything anyway, these idols. Um, so if, as long as you're not getting involved in pagan worship or offending anybody, you find to eat it. Whereas this seems to say, no, do abstain. Mm. Uh, do from eating uh, food that is polluted by idols. So is there a slight conflict? There? Well, in... in the situation in Corinth, we, we don't know what sort of meat is involved here. I mean, this is the red meat, uh, the, the, the prohibition on red meat, and, and it might well be that the meat there was drained of its blood as well and part of a sacrificial rite. So it wouldn't have been against what Paul was saying, but, but possibly. We, we just don't know. Mm. Mm. I I've always read this as a... Um, yeah, a particular issue about I think as you were saying, Chris, about you know how there's almost a sort of there's a missionary impulse behind this. How do Gentile Christians live in a in a Jewish yeah. environment? And so it's not about every Christian living in every environment, but it's a specific thing about you know if you've got Gentiles who are seeking to uh, commend Jesus Christ to those who are to, to, to Jewish people. Um, as you have here in in this council in Jerusalem, uh, and of course the church at this stage is still largely a Jewish body, um, and they're kind of trying to cope with the fact that there are now some Gentiles in it. Um, this is how to go about it. This is you know that in order not to to cause uh, offence, in order not to cause unnecessary um, issues. These are, this is some of the advice that, that that's given, and therefore there are some of them are ceremonial. But what these things describe, of course, the things that Gentiles the Gentile culture around would think of as normal. In other words, you know, food polluted by idols, what, you know, from, in Old Testament terms, would be considered sexual immorality, um, which, you know, was... Widely practiced. Widely practiced yeah. within Gentile culture yeah. at the time. Um, you know, eating uh, the meat of strangled <coughs> blood. In other words, it's, it's a list of, of uh, common Gentile habits, which... Is saying, well, look, actually, if you're work, if you're working and living in a in a Jewish environment, it's probably best not to do these things. Um, so it is quite a specific list for a specific missionary context. Um, so I suppose that's the way I've always read it, and, and that's if you like where the sexual immorality fits in, because it is because it's a you know it's a um, it, it is a sort of common practice. Well, with, yeah, I, I, Richard people. Borkham has, has simply pointed out that it's um, it's not just about the pragmatics of a situation, but mm. that this list comes from exegesis. From but Leviticus. So the question then is that if, if it comes from exegesis and if it comes from Leviticus, why do we not do all of this now? That is the question. Yeah. And um, well, sexual immorality yeah. presumably is something that we think, well, that's only temporarily, you know, we, but, we wouldn't do that later. Chris's point is that it was for, people, for Gentiles living in the land... So, and yeah. and verse 21, Moses has been preached in the city for, at its time. It says that those who live in a particularly Jewish 
context. So if you're living in northeast London... Mm. Mm. Then it's all right to be sexually immoral? No, 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 (laughs) then then maybe you ought to uh, keep all these things in there, you know, and not... You'll perhaps go to a halal, you know, a kosher butcher. Um, but the sexual morality one is the, the, there are lots of things here that we don't know whether they apply or not. The sexual morality one, in all sorts of other places, we know does apply, and mm. therefore we need to keep that one, even if we're not living in a Jewish context. Yeah, yeah. and I guess that, you know there are there are specific. I mean, as but there are there were a whole range of sexual practices which happened in Gentile culture in the first century, which Christians. You know, deliberately did not, you know, adopt, um, and, and that was that was again part of, and, and because the Jews didn't adopt them either, it was part of the kind of self-definition of Christianity yeah. over and Judaism over against um, Greco-Roman paganism. That one of the, the the factors that differentiated Christians and Jews was their the fact they didn't engage in a whole series of sexual practices, which were quite common amongst mm. amongst particularly kind of aristocratic uh, Greco-Roman. Men, largely. Which um, is, I think, where a lot of the, the, what seems to us now, problematic teaching about the relationships between men and women in marriage mm, fits, mm. is that they were teaching um, people a whole new ethic about the relationships between men and, yeah. and women. Sure. Yeah. Um, and because we think that ethic, everybody's always taken it for granted, we, we see it as subordination of women, and actually yeah. it's about mm, mm. the purity of a, of a sexual relationship, yeah. I think. Right. I think one of the things that we tend to underplay, which this passage is a, a good example of, of the New Testament generally being very strong on, is not giving offence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul's mm-hmm. whole thing about the weaker brethren and the stronger brethren is about not giving offence, not leading astray. Uh, and that seems to extend beyond the boundaries of the Christian community, yeah. not mm-hmm. giving offence mm-hmm. to your Jewish mm-hmm. you know, compatriots mm-hmm. around. Um, and, and that's something we tend to underplay, I think. We think, oh, we're free from all this, we're free from the food laws, we're free from... Well, yes, we are, but do not yet your freedom yeah. Uh, yeah. Offend, uh, give unnecessary yeah. offence to others and circumscribe your freedom mm. um, if that's going to benefit mm. you and your ability to preach the gospel and, and mm. all of that. Yeah. Uh, and and this, this sense of the Christian community is one that has pretty high standards when it comes to... To, to, to behaviour and, and, and obviously at times that can come over as being a bit censorious, a bit sort of legalistic and quite um, kind of strict in a way. But in a sense that there is a there's a reason it seems to me behind behind the sort of strictness of Christian morality in, in a whole range of areas, you know, not just sexual but also economic and and, and relational and, and social and political and so on. That Christian communities are the kind of places that we do want to keep the standards high because in that kind of community it becomes much more possible to live a, a holy life and because it does then take bodies more seriously doesn't it mm. it mm. assumes that that your whole being is 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 what god loves yeah. and therefore it matters how what you eat what you do with your body what you put into it exactly yes. exactly yes. and how your bodies relate to other bodies exactly. which is mm. the point of yeah. Yeah. a lot of paul's reasoning yeah, that's right. And it's, you know, because it seems to be, you know, churches are meant to be places that we, where, where it's possible to develop real, genuine Christian character, which enables you to engage with in, in a world in a constructive and, and cohesive way. And, 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 celebra- and celebratory way. Yeah. I mean, people see it as, as, as something that's going to make your life less good, yeah. more miserable. Yeah. But actually, it's that's quite right. the contrary, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So actually, you know, it seems to me that the, 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 if you like, the, the strictness of Christian morality is precisely in order to enable us to, 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 to make a sort of positive contribution. And it actually, if in moral terms, actually our Christian communities are actually no different at all from the communities around, they really have nothing, nothing to offer. They might 
and I suppose this is what Bonhoeffer was talking about in terms of cheap grace. You know, we, we have a community that just preach grace but have, have no sense of, 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 of moral distinction from communities around. They're not able to form people and change people and, and enable them to contribute and celebrate and... and and um, nothing to offer to the surrounding yeah, culture. Exactly, right. feel exactly the same as the surrounding yeah, culture. That's right. Yeah. So there we have Acts chapter fifteen. Well, um, our time is nearly up. Um, Mike has to go off and do something. I have he's going to eat some meat. Uh, no, um, <laughs> some bread and wine representing ah, flesh. Oh, there you go. That's right. Yes, yes. And blood. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, um, uh, that's it for. God Pod 39. Um, we've got a number of things coming up in uh, in a while. Um, for those of you uh, uh, listening to this in within reasonable time of, of having doing it, we're, we're doing a, a, a day on apologetics with um, Zacharias Trust in May of next year, if you're May, in London. May 2009. Uh, May 2009, exactly, that's right. Yes. So you might want to... Um, you're listening to this in 2027. <laughs> exactly, that's right. So it's always quite a good idea to check out our website, which is... Um, uh, htb.sbtc.org.uk, I think. Um, so do check out their website about uh, events that are coming up and uh, all that's going on here at St Paul's Theological Centre. So thank you, Jane. Nice to be here. And Michael. Thank you. And I uh, hope you had a good time at your... Um, my, my service. Your service. Thank you very much. And uh, Chris too. Pleasure. Or Chris Tilly too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank you. That was Godpod a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.